LOL. Bill Gates is a white supremacist with a Jesus complex. Lots of countries are calling for his arrest. Even in Australia, Bill Gates is a rich and entitled spoiled brat who wants to play God. So this is an actual tweet posted at the height of the COVID pandemic. The tweet and others you'll hear throughout this episode are read by actors. Hey, this is Andile, and welcome back to Future in the Humanities, a podcast produced by humans for humans intrigued by humanity. This installment of the show is entitled, You Get a Conspiracy, You Get a Conspiracy, Everybody Gets a Conspiracy! (laughs) We'll be chatting with two scholars from the Fitz University Humanities Faculty who share a fascination with how, for better and for worse, conspiracy theories are shaping the lives of everyday people in various African societies. Now, Nigerian Media Studies PhD student Samuel Olaniran has a near insatiable interest in computational propaganda, technopolitics, digital misinformation, and other adjacent themes. And Eugenio Garladone is a media studies professor and co-conspirator on this show, whose past work spans coverage of the complex tech and innovation relationship between Africa and China, and research collaborations about information disorder, with a particular focus on how people respond to conspiracy theories during crises like the COVID-19 pandemic. Now, I figure an appropriate place to start this episode might be working out whether or not Nigeria's sitting President Buhari is in fact a clone from Sudan. And M. Buhari is dead since 2017. Nigerians are being deceived with hashtag Jibril from Sudan. And UK Parliament, please help save our nation for future sake. Samuel kicks us off. Buckle up. Buhari has been known to have a poor medical history and um, it became simpler for, for such conspiracies to come up when... At some point, he's known for for having a penchant for, for medical tourism to the UK. Um, the medical system in Nigeria is very poor, so he often goes to the UK. Uh, but in this instance, he traveled and there was no clarity as to what treatment he was going for. And then on the back of that, um, these insinuations came up that he had died in a London hospital and the person who returned to Nigeria was a certain Jubril from Sudan. Such conspiracies resonate more with Nigerians because uh, we had a president before Buhari, um, late Umaru Musayaradwa, who was in a similar situation, traveled out of the country for, for medical treatment, was rumored to have died. He came out later, debunked the rumors, but then he still died after. So that sort of dangerous power vacuum was what Nigerians were avoiding. And when that conspiracy came out, mostly driven by the, the leader of the Independent People's Republic of Biafra, IPOP, uh, Namdi Kanu, uh, people drove it a lot because they felt, okay, this is somebody who was aging and then all of a sudden looks more energetic than we knew and scientifically it didn't add up 
So um, people were becoming paranoid, but there were reasons for them to have believed that such conspiracy was true, that uh, the president was a clone or is a clone. He himself had, has tried to debunk uh, the conspiracy that he's been cloned, but the the more he tries to debunk that conspiracy, the more people tend to believe that Buhari himself is a clone. The idea of powerful political people running governments intent on pulling the wool over the eyes of the public kind of feels like widely held common sense these days, and perhaps for good reason. But one thing's for sure, conspiracies can and do have a real-world impact on society. And even when they're proved untrue, some of the crazier ones tend to spawn new intrigues. Here's Samuel with a conspiracy saga that fed off deep-seated perceptions Nigerian citizens have about the state of policing in their country. There's been a, a long history of police brutality in Nigeria and um, something the world is very much aware of, uh, the NSAS protests which took, took place uh, October 2020. Historically, that is the largest protest we've had in Nigeria, driven by social media. And that's NSAS protest um, was a reaction to a long suppressed um, dissatisfaction with the way the Nigerian police has been um, treating the citizens. Uh, there, there is a special anti-robbery squad unit which is called SAS that handles criminality. But the way they have gone about their duties has been something Nigerians have frowned at. And when a video emanated on social media of a young man who was um, shot, his vehicle was taken away. Uh, people leveraged that to start a bigger protest because before that uh, video came out in October last year, there had been other incidences of police brutality. But that one sparked the kind of reaction that Nigerians had been looking for a space to exercise. And this was largely because it was not only that this man had been shot and his car taken away, the inference was that he had been killed, right? Yes, the inference was that he had been killed. Um, but later they discovered he wasn't killed. But then two days after, another video came out on social media where the um, SARS unit shot and killed another Nigerian. And that's for the... Um, gave credence to the belief that people had that, oh no, this has been going on for far too long. Um, it's not been getting the kind of attention it wanted. But now that we have social media, we can amplify it. And that amplification was what um, made it spread like wildfire all over the country. We had protests in different parts of Nigeria. And then we moved into another space where the government tried to politicize the protest by coming up with insinuations that the protest was sponsored by the opposition party um, with the aim of getting the military to topple the Buhari administration. And, you know, th th those are the kind of responses that further fueled the anger in Nigerians because they felt the government was shying away from the main issues, but then looking at it from a political angle. I asked Eugenio first what he thinks conspiracy theories say about humans and then to share why he reckons we probably shouldn't be immediately dismissive of all conspiracy theories. 
we have to be honest as academics. Uh, there are academic fashions. When research on the digital in Africa or the digital in the global south started, uh, it was all about good governance, holding people accountable, and getting the despot and the dictators down. And uh, you know, the Arab Spring. We all got uh, excited, exhilarated when that was happening. But we also know what happened next. And now it seems that if you want to get money for a research grant, you have to do disinformation, misinformation, and hate speech. Something has happened, and we have also to be honest about how much we are in control of the agenda or other institutions are driving it, and we are just following. And the second bit of this answer is a bit more complicated is also about how at the very beginning of the information revolution, of the diffusion of the internet all across the globe, uh, there was also this uh, project that became visible possibly a few years later of reproducing some of the tenets of colonialism. So there was the idea of this rational center, which also held a technology that could spread all around the world and this emotional periphery. So NGOs, uh, big tech millionaires and so forth, uh, they wanted to use the internet as a liberation technology to hold people accountable, to make the peripheries uh, more rational. We will continue to fight especially against the vaccinations from America and Bill Gates. If Africans are to be vaccinated, it must come from Cuba and Russia, people who supported our struggle for liberation, not Americans with a nefarious agenda to destroy Africans, mama. Whatever you think of tech billionaires and their nanoparticles, it's worth accounting for the very real societal context that conspiracy theories feed into. Look, at some level, there is a generic sense of a conspiracy theory that can speak to any human beings all over the world, which is already inclined to believe the nanoparticles, the secret plot, the tech billionaires. Uh, but what we have to get better at as researcher is to see beyond the conspiracy and to see how certain people in certain countries, in certain contexts, uh, have political project, they are much bigger than the conspiracy. The political project might meet the conspiracy in a certain place and make use of it, but we don't have to dismiss that political project. So when it comes to Bill Gates, uh, it also signifies we're tired of the World Bank, we're tired of the IMF coming into Africa and imposing their project. Uh, so is that kind of pushing back not legitimate? It is. It happens, it has the misfortune to sit just next uh, to a claim that sounds absurd. But we have to make a distinction and we have to work with the distinction because otherwise we'll cut off a big portion of the population all around the world. Could it be that even in esteemed academic circles, there's a danger of passing up the opportunity to study and learn from society's tendency to create and spread conspiracies of all kinds for whatever reason? One of the role of the humanities, uh, engaging with different discipline and definitely digital space, it's to never allow someone to, to dismiss other forms of thinking, to dismiss other group of individuals uh, because of an analysis that happened to be believed by the majority. The humanities uh, think about human beings in societies in all those forms of shapes. So the very act of uh, disconnecting 
or creating the opportunities for some to feel at ease with disconnecting uh, a whole group of individuals uh, is something that we can't allow. And, uh, and someone should be studying them. It's difficult to study people you don't like, but that's also what makes some of these uh, uh, engagement beautiful, productive, uh, and, and enlightening uh, uh, to, to some extent. And, and without this, uh, this content questioning of uh, what is the mainstream, what is the prevalent way to look at individual societies and group, uh, we will lose a lot of our very humanity. And, and you can find a lot of examples in history where the mainstream was, was very dangerous. It's one thing to acknowledge the need to properly grapple with people and ideas you don't like, but it's equally important to understand that even some of the people you do like may be unwittingly or even willfully complicit. History has shown that um, conspiracies don't always just emanate from the top, from, from government. Conspiracies can emanate from the audience. And I would link this to the study I'm doing um, on disinformation and how it spreads in Nigeria. Uh, you, you, you'd find a situation where influencers are paid by the government and then they generate um, different stories with different narratives and then try to, 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 to get clusters of communities on social media to amplify those messages. Now, um, the tech companies are not doing it enough, particularly when it comes to content moderation. Because you can identify the actors, you can see the content, you can see the behavior, but the, the tech companies tend to look away from what is happening on social media in Africa. And I, I, I think as individuals, um, we need to be more conscious in terms of being media literate about how we use social media, uh, what kind of information we consume and how we participate because that participatory aspect is something that has become very well ingrained in the way social media is used in Africa these days. And so perhaps the next time you criticize someone for creating or spreading a conspiracy theory that doesn't quite sit right with you, you might want to reflect on how, thanks to the unprecedented digital connectedness of our world, you might very well be a co-conspirator. Conspiracies, in most cases, don't just come out of the space. There are certain discussions that fuel um, belief or disbelief in, in, in these conspiracies. And maybe most times, uh, as against propaganda, we don't know the conspirators. But then the intent, in this case, um, for propaganda, you know what the intent is because you know it's to deceive. But then in the case of conspiracy, um, maybe until the goal is achieved before you are able to know this was the intention. And it, it makes it a little bit more complicated. Um, in, in my study, I have, I've, I've, I've tried to look at how propaganda is being reinvented because um, as against what we used to have in the past, now propaganda has technology, which makes its impact and reach even bigger than we can imagine. So a single um, conspiracy or propaganda on social media can go far beyond what the conspirators or the propagandists had even imagined or, or planned. So um, 
we must be careful as individuals that there is a lot of power in technology and the tech platforms i'll go back to that again are not doing enough to stamp out or or, or manage how conspiracies spread um, uh, amongst individuals they can be very deadly and we've we've seen that we we can always reflect on the capital protests in in the in the US and we see how disruptive it became in society And that's it for this episode. Do join us for the next one, though. It features PhD researcher Figile Masigani unpacking how lucky we all are to have e-hailing in our lives. When you join this partnership with Uber, Uber provides this app that determines the amount of money that you make. So you bring in all the equipment and they determine how much you get paid. So you don't get a say on what you're getting paid. <laughs> you gotta love the gig economy. Don't miss it. 